This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Remnant Radio. My name is Joshua Lewis, and we've got an exciting episode for you today. Uh, we've got uh, Jeremy Rennie on the other line. We're going to be discussing church leadership, elders, uh, that kind of thing. It's going to be an exciting episode. I've read yes, these books. I've listened to this sermons. This these sermons. Uh, this is going to be an you, episode that you guys are. Gonna, you love church governance I love, too. It, I have a you eat it up. place in my heart for church governance. Most of that is, I knew my audio was about to come on. Most of that's rooted because uh, of my background. And I think that, man, a lot of a lot of pain could have been uh, just kind of glossed over. It would have never <laughs> happened uh, had there been. That's the case a lot of times. I mean, if, if yeah. the right structure makes a big difference. And so that's what we're going to talk about today uh, with Jeremy Rennie. And we're going to introduce you to him in just a moment. But before we do, I want to let you guys know just kind of what we have uh, coming up tomorrow. Really excited about this episode. Max Lucado is going to be on the show. And Max Lucado has come has become a continuation. He's begun to believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so he comes from a Church of Christ perspective. It's kind of a wild story. And so he's going to be on talking about his story in regard to that and some of the sort of biblical theological uh, background and undergirding for uh, why he made that shift. So that's going to be tomorrow at 1130 Central Time. We actually have two shows tomorrow, 4 p.m. We'll have Joel Richardson talking about Messianic prophecies. Uh, He just wrote a book called Sinai to Zion. I've read it. It's a great book. And uh, and he's just uh, he's very much into the eschatological scene. So if that's you, you're definitely going to want to check it out. Uh, And then and today, as we as we mentioned, we're talking church leadership. We do episodes on this uh, periodically. We had a great episode with uh, Dr. Crawford Loritz Mm -hmm. uh, a little while ago back this summer. Make sure you Search for that episode because it was just a great episode on a similar topic. Uh, but Jeremy, we're so excited to have you on the show today. So uh, maybe you could tell us just a little bit about yourself and about your ministry. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, great to be on your show. Really an honor to uh, talk about this topic with you. Um, so I'm uh, just a pastor. I uh, pastored a church in Boston for about 20 years on the South Shore of Boston, and then uh, moved to the Middle East, to Abu Dhabi, uh, in the United Arab Emirates, where I pastored for four years at an uh, international church there. And I've recently uh, taken a new church, moved back to the United States, uh, here in Sanibel, Florida, uh, the seashelling capital of the world, where you can not waste your life and collect seashells uh, simultaneously. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Though. I love that John Piper yeah. reference. <laughs> cool. So tell us a little bit, uh, th- this book that you've re- uh, written, Church Elders, uh, that you you published with Nine Marks. Uh, I really want to know about that. Uh, I say I want to know that about that. I want our audience to know about that. I loved the book. Uh, and maybe give us kind of a, a quick intro to what that was. Sure. So, so the book is... Um, 
I, I would call it like a, a, a job description for lay elders. Um, you know, I was uh, trying, we had elders in our church in Boston and I was uh, always trying to train them and equip them. And so I was looking for resources um, and, um, and, and really didn't have sort of the, that small job description book I could just hand to our lay elders. So as I wrote it, I kind of always had in my mind's eye, you know, the portfolio manager in my church and the electrician and, uh, you know, school principal who, who are going to serve as elders. And, and they, you know, they just want that, uh, pithy summary of like, what do I do? What's this job? What does it mean to be an elder? Cause otherwise I think guys just sort of import in their life experiences in leadership and whatever they are, which mm-hmm. isn't all bad, but if, if you're not coming in with a biblical framework, you sort of impose categories onto the church, uh, that, that don't quite fit. That's good. So maybe you could give us that pithy explanation. What is the role of an elder? Uh, that's, that's a great question. Um, it, it's, it's several things. I, I think at the core of it, uh, the, the image that, that helps me sort of pull it all together is that of a shepherd. Um, it, it's someone who's shepherding. So that means you're leading, you're overseeing, you're feeding, you're uh, knowing the flock, you're among the flock. And um, at least in our context in Boston, uh, a lot of times guys were coming into the elder board, uh, elder team with a, a kind of businessy background. It was sort of like the board of directors, you know. So there's the board of directors and they hire the CEO. That's the pastor. And then mm-hmm. he goes and like runs the organization and then he comes to them for approvals and things. And, and really trying to say, no, you guys, like whatever you think I'm supposed to be doing as a pastor, that's what you guys are supposed to be doing. And maybe I have more time to give to it and maybe I have some more expertise or experience, you know, or training, but, but it's the same job, uh, which is to, to feed people, the word of God, to shepherd people, to care for souls and to lead, you know, to oversee the, uh, the church. Yeah. What do you think? Like, it, it feels as if there's a rise, uh, in conversations about ecclesiology and church governance and those kinds of things. Do you think that's a, a result of pragmatism of us trying to just create the utopianistic church with the best leaders? Or uh, do you think this is maybe a response to uh, previous church hurt uh, where, where things just haven't worked out and they think that maybe if we, we have proper checks and balances, things can actually move forward in a healthier way? Yeah, I, I mean, I suspect uh, for, for a lot of people, there's a there's a kind of um, maybe for younger pastors who seem to really be interested in polity. There's sort of like this inordinate interest in church polity these days. And, and I think part of it is because, um, you know, p- people have tried all the different models, this best selling church, that that model. And, and it's at the end of the day, you're like, are we just making this up? Is this just like, you know, mirroring the world or, or is there like any guidance in scripture? And so, um, so if we really believe in the sufficiency of scripture, then we want to say, well, what does God have to say about his own church? And in remarkably elders, th- there's a lot in, in the new Testament and the old Testament too, about elders, uh, in particular, as part of that answer to the question, how should the church be ordered and structured and led? And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's refreshing, you know, it's, it's just great to be able to open your Bible and be like, you know, let's do that. Um, yeah. as opposed to like, well, maybe I should do what that guy does. Cause his church, he started with a hundred people in his living room or 10 people. And now it's 10,000 people. So something must be working, you know, however you define working. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. 
So talk to us about the different forms of church government, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Congregational. Can you just walk us through those different models and and maybe like what's your fave? <laughs> <laughs> Pick your poison. <laughs> Well, you know, in all the cool thing is that in all of them, elders can function and you can find elders in all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in a congregational model, uh, um, the, the, the authority, the, the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, you know, Matthew 16, uh, Matthew 18, I, I think, uh, ultimately resides with the congregation itself. So they have the ultimate authority to define doctrine, to bring members into the church, to discipline members out of the church. Um, in a uh, the, the the next model would be like a, a Presbyterian model where uh, the local church is under a presbytery, uh, but that presbytery is also part of a, a larger group of elders. And, and in the Presbyterian model, the keys to the kingdom uh, are, are owned by the congregation, but exercised by the elders. Mm-hmm. And so the elders have a kind of elder rule uh, aspect to them. And then in Episcopacy, of course, there's um, it, it's even more hierarchical where you have you know, pastors or priests underneath, um, you know, a bishop and maybe underneath an archbishop or in the, the Catholic Church underneath, um, you know, cardinals and popes. So so that the, the authority rises up and, and the keys of the kingdom are uh, are with the uh, papacy ultimately. So uh, I'm, I'm personally a congregationalist. So I, w- I would ascribe to what I would call an elder led, congregationally ruled form of church government. Yeah. You mentioned um, at the beginning of the intro, you had talked about uh, certain people imposing categories on elders. Can you maybe yep. unpack that for us? What, were, what are some of the categories that get imposed that are not in, inherently biblical? Um, yeah, so, so I think business uh, board of directors, you know, a bunch of guys we meet once a, one, once a month and we make decisions. And, you know, we're, we're kind of the no committee, like pastor brings ideas and we say, yes, no, we can't afford that. We can't afford it. And, you know, so it's about sort of passing decisions on um, uh, for for some, you know, it's um, maybe it's a, a, a work committee that, that wants to get around and work on the facility or manage the property. And I think some people are just wired more toward managing property, which is a great gift to the church, but mm-hmm. not really elders. Right. Right. Okay, so you you said an elder-led, congregationally ruled, congregational form of government. Maybe you could you could walk us through what does this look like when it comes to hiring, firing, budget decisions, any decision that's coming up. Maybe it's church discipline. What does it look like in your church model, as opposed to what it would maybe look like in a different church model? Yeah, I, I think that. Um you know, I think sometimes when we hear congregationalism, we hear like kind of pure church democracy um, where, you know, everyone can vote on everything. And and that's not, you know, what I would mean and what most people would mean by congregationalism. Um, and it, so I would mean the congregation has the final say on um, the membership of the church who's included, who's removed and the uh, the leadership of the church. Um, so it's sort of ultimately responsible for for doctrine, uh, ultimately responsible for the theology of the church. And therefore, I would say by extension, the leadership uh, who espoused that uh, and uphold that. So what does that look like practically? Well, um, it would mean the elders would lead. They would come to the congregation and say, listen, we think, you know, we need to hire this pastor or we 
need to bring these people into membership or this person needs to be removed from membership. And here's the discipline process we've been working through. But ultimately, the congregation uh, makes the decision on whether or not that goes forward. So uh, it, it takes a lot of processing. It takes a lot of trust, a lot of communication. It's um, it, it's a, a less efficient way to do those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the good so, thing is it trains the congregation to take responsibility and they have to step yeah. up, step into their role. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, man, I almost want to ask, I've got a question written down, but I want to, I want to go off of that, the back of that thought. Um, yeah. you said that it trains the congregation. So, so this is not a guys at the top have authority. The goal is to mature the congregation. Um, do you think that this model of governance that you just described, um, is actually the best for, um, not just the people theologically, not just for order, but for their own spiritual maturity? Yeah. I mean, you, you really, um, you, you see it. So, so in our church in Abu Dhabi, we, we shifted, uh, from a, basically an elder rule. Uh, first we instituted elders. They didn't have elders before. And then we went to a congregational model where the congregation had the final say on uh, those ultimate decisions. And, you know, people wake up, <laughs> they're suddenly like, wait a minute, I have to decide what, <laughs> and, and it's it's amazing how people tune in and uh, lean in and start asking questions and take ownership. Um, and, and of course, you know, there's no there's no model that guarantees that the church is going to behave well. Right. Uh, you know, the fortunate thing. Yeah. Pol <laughs> polity can't uh, can't shape hearts. Right. Uh, so I, I think you, you have to acknowledge the limits of it. Um you know, even though I, I'm, I believe in this kind of polity, like I'd rather be in an elder ruled church with like super godly people. <laughs> <laughs> in like a, yeah, a well, really godly congregational church. Like we have a great constitution, you know, the people are wicked, but the constitution's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well on that. So like, let's say, I mean, you're leading a church of people who aren't so mature spiritually and there are big important decisions that are being made. And what do you do in a congregational, uh, in a congregational form of government when they're not mature yet? And when maybe there, there's this groundswell of desire for something that it's like really obvious to you as an elder, who's been around the block, like this is a really bad decision. Like, how do you navigate that? Yeah, I, I think, I think you have to always, you know, slow down, teach, um, you know, disciple and filibuster. So have the luxury of bringing everyone to a point of maturity, but, but even the process itself can be a maturing process. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I think it, you know, it varies, um, case to case. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the downside. Uh, th that's the risk is that you're, yeah. you're empowering people who maybe don't feel equipped and don't feel ready. Um, you yeah. you mentioned, uh, qualifications of an elder, like briefly, you talked about qualifications and you said there's stuff in the new Testament and there's stuff in the old Testament, uh, unpack the old Testament stuff for us, because uh, I constantly hear the, you know, first Timothy, uh, uh, passages where they go through, you know, not given to much wine, able to teach, yep. you know, husband of one wife, those kinds of things. But, but, but unpack some of the old Testament eldership, uh, wh where do we see outlines of that? Yeah, that's a great question. It's not as clear as First Timothy and Titus. I mean, those are wonderful character description lists, which is probably why we mm -hmm. go straight there. It's super mm -hmm. clear. 
But, you know, even in the Old Testament, you, you always find, you know, whether there's kings or prophets or Moses or whoever, there are always these elders that are kind of like, you know, on the stage, um, you know, when Moses, uh, you know, uh, makes the covenant with God, makes covenant with Israel, Mount Sinai, they go up for the covenant uh, meal and, you know, the 70 elders go up with him uh, or, or, you know, in, in the towns, there's always these bodies of elders at the town gate that are making decisions so, so the elders are always kind of popping up and, and they tend to, uh, they, they seem to be those who have wisdom, respect, uh, who have a, a measure of authority and leadership in the community. Uh, so, so again, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't spell it out like first Timothy, therefore have this kind of character. But, but I think the implication is, um, is, is that wisdom, respect, maturity. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you know maybe the, uh, something similar to it would be like the, even though they're not called elders, the judges that um, uh, Moses appoints in Exodus um, 18, you know, when Jethro's like, dude, you're going to fry yourself if you keep doing all these, you know, things. <laughs> yeah. it's like, and you know, it's like, who are these people? Well, they're impartial and they're trustworthy and they're respected. So, so, so I think a lot of the same character qualities are, are there in the old Testament too. It's just not as clearly listed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, Back to just the the kind of three forms of government we've talked about: congregational, right. Episcopal, and Presbyterian. I'm curious what scriptures like you've obviously decided on the congregational form, and and from what little I know about you, I'm I'm guessing that it wasn't just pragmatism that led you there. In fact, even your statement it's, it's a slower <laughs> way to go. You know, if you if you just want to make fast decisions, have your team of elders, or even just have your senior pastor who's just the boss and does things right. But like. Yeah, that's right. Um, So I don't think it's pragmatism. I I believe you're convicted by the scripture that uh, while I I hear you, you're not like condemning of other sides or anything, but like you, you feel like this is the best or this is what the scripture teaches. What's your scriptural justification for congregational form of government? Yeah, that's a great question. And and by the way, maybe we should probably add a fourth form of uh, church government nowadays called uh, multi-site church, huh? Oh wow! Uh-oh. Yeah, let's let's do that. Yeah, I would love to discuss Why that. Why not? Let's just let's go ahead. Multi-site go church. Ahead and drop it on there. Yeah, we're, I'm writing that one down. We're going to revisit that. So first, why don't you answer <laughs> scriptural convictions of congregational government, and then multi-site? That's coming next. Well, I'm just thinking it, it's a kind of polity, right? That like everyone's yeah. doing, and it doesn't fit any of the models nicely. Yeah. So, so it's it sort of emerged as as its own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So, sort of the scriptural basis, I, I think the, the, um, sort of the, one of the key texts would be Matthew 16, where, um, you know, Jesus says, uh, you know, Matthew, I'm like, look at my Bible here, Matthew 16, like 13 to 20, where, um, you know, Jesus says, who do, who do the crowds say I am? Who do they say I am? Peter, who mm-hmm. do you say I am? And he makes the confession that, you know, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. And then he says, I tell you, uh, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, and, and so th- that, that's typically understood, and I would understand it that way, as, as an authority to, to open and to shut, to, to allow mm-hmm. in and to remove. Um, and so uh, he, he has this sort of authority over the church. And of course, that gets into the whole Roman Catholic you know, debate about is Peter the first pope and all these things. But what's interesting is when you go to Matthew 18, 
go forward two chapters where um, Jesus uh, gives the instructions for what to do in the case of church discipline. Um, and, and, and he, you know, says, okay, if, you know, your brother sins against you, go with, go one-on-one, try to win him over. If you did, you won your brother. Great. If not take two witnesses, if not tell it to the church. And then it says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile tax collector. And then he brings up the same line. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, so it seems now that that same authority given to Peter is being given to the congregation. Um, and then, uh, you know, he says, again, I say, if two or three of you agree on earth about anything, I, uh, anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And people often, you know, quote that as kind of the, uh, I call it the, the small Bible study turnout verse. You know, it's like, <laughs> I love it. Like, oh, dang, only three people. Well, what do you guys want to do? You guys want to go see a movie? Matthew eighteen twenty. Hey, and he's here. Really here well, with at least three two or us. three are gathered. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's just calling balls and strikes, man. Like, just, that's just oh, the way it is. You, you get three people together and it's, hey, where two or three are gathered, guys. Anytime there's a small turnout. I love it. A thousand times. <laughs> or, you know, like even agreement, like, you know, so it's, I think like this agreement thing, it's, it's not like, Hey, if the three of us agree on anything in prayer, like, you know, like Josh is getting a Lamborghini. So like, let's agree. Oh, let's do agree. it. Let's agree guys. <laughs> yeah. So, so but, that, that passage is not, can you, can you uh, just, I guess, double down on that? Because uh, that's something that I've, I've come into uh, a bit of resistance to in, in explaining, Hey, when two or three come in, to agreement it's done in heaven uh, what does that look like that doesn't look like uh, me and michael coming to agreement on who's going to be the next president and suddenly right. that person's going to be president uh, w- w- can you can you double down on, on showing that that is about uh, church governance um yeah 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 so, so i think in the context he's um J- jesus is it, it's all in the context of church discipline mm-hmm. and and in other words he's 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 telling the church that they have this heavenly authority, that if two or three, in other words, who are the two or three? Well, they're probably the two or three witnesses that were just a few verses earlier who are bringing to the church, you know, this, this charge, uh, and the whole church is now calling this person to account. So, so, so I think it's, it's like, look, you have the authority, you have the keys to, uh, to, to bind or to loose it. And I don't think, I don't think that to mean that we save or unsave people. Sure, but, but it's it's to sort of publicly recognize them as disciples, or to publicly take away that that mantle of uh, being identified as a disciple, which historically has been called church discipline or excommunication. Um, yeah. Now you you brought up uh, the the multi site, and, and it's and it felt, and I don't know, it felt as if there might have been a little bit of saltiness there. Uh, you want to unpack multi site for us? I'm just saying it's a fourth model. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 But, but, uh, but, and, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to be pro it either. Well, because- could there, could there be, so what are the challenges to church governance, uh, to a yeah. biblical church governance with multi-site? And can you imagine a way that it's done that's actually appropriate? Um, I, I think, uh, the challenges to, uh, a multi-site church. I, I think pastorally, um, I like like if, if it was a multi-site model where I was a pastor of a campus that I never really visited, 
like, I, I don't know in what sense I'm really a shepherd, uh, or that I, I'm, you know, it, it says, how exactly will you give an account? How am I going to give an account? Yeah. Hebrews, right. Right. So how am I going to give an account for those souls? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how to shepherd those people that I I've never even met. I, I don't know how I would ever as a church member or as a pastor be a part of church membership or church discipline in a church where, um, th- those people aren't there. Um, I, I think there's, you know, just basic questions. What is, what is a church? Um, you know, is it, is the church fundamentally a shared vision, a shared budget, a shared admin team, or is the church not in fact a family of people who are actually gathered together in a place and are, are committed to each other, know each other and are committed to the one another's with each other, uh, with shepherds who know them. Um, uh-huh. so, so I, 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 I don't know how it, it works. I, I mean, I know it works and I know the Lord works and I know that people are being saved and yeah. So I, I'm not questioning any of that. It's just, th- those are things I would struggle with M- more like, Hey, Jeremy, why don't you apply for this job here at this multi-site church? These are the things that would be, you know, my theological hangups that I would right. deal with. That's now, now is that, I, I mean, could somebody say the same thing about a pastor of a mega church of, you know, some thousands of people I know in Abu Dhabi, you pastored a large church. I mean, so, I mean, do you know every single person in a large church? Could you say the same thing with that? Like, might somebody come back and say, well, you know, that pastor is overseeing these pastors who are pouring into those people. And uh, like, do you see some justification in that regard? Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, I think I think this it's kind of a practical question. Like, how many people could I actually know and shepherd? Um and, and I think, you know, it's obviously a limited number, right? Um, and yet I, I don't think that should be a limitation on the size of the church. I mean, the early church in Jerusalem, I mean, it got to like 5,000, right? Before uh, the persecution broke out and they scattered. Uh, so, so that was, you know, the first, the first church of the Bible is a mega church um, by modern <laughs> categories. Right. So, but, but somehow they, they, uh, they managed to, the apostles managed to teach and shepherd and oversee. Um, so yeah, I, I would just say the task gets more challenging. Um, and I don't think that in a large, so like in my church in Abu Dhabi, you know, we had you know, a thousand people on a Friday. We worshiped on Friday because it was a Muslim holy day. Uh, and, um, and so we had a thousand people, but like maybe 500, some members, but even 500, some members, it's hard to really know everyone deeply. But what I found is that among an elder team that's really doing its job, there, there's a kind of collective knowledge of everybody. And and I'm there, right? So if on a Sunday, uh, you know, this, this brother from Nigeria who's a member of the church wants to talk to me, like I'm right there and I'm accessible. So, um, I, I, which I think is if I was in a multi-site situation, I, I just don't know how I would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. I've got a, a question from Brandon in here. He says, what about online church? And I'm going to kind of expand on his question because, well, it's, it's my show and he's not sitting here to expand on it. So uh, as far as, <laughs> as uh, online church, <laughs> it, specifically when it when it comes to elders. So like uh, we can we can unpack, you know, what about online church? Not not is it biblical, is it not biblical? But how, how do, with the pandemic, with things that are going on right now, uh, lots of people are moving to online uh how how does a pastor or can a pastor an elder be really responsible for a, a, a an online body? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think online church is an oxymoron. Um, Dang. I, I think church is a, is a physical assembly of people. Um, now, I, I do think that we, we have this crazy situation where it's almost like we have this new category of COVID shut-ins mm-hmm. um, who, who just can't, you know, we've all, the church has always had shut-ins, right? Um, people who, who can't make it, who are members of the church, but who can't make it to the assembly. And so we, we have to show special care and concern for them. I think the problem now is there's just like huge numbers in churches. And then in some churches, so like here where I'm now in Florida, we can meet in the church's meeting, some states, right? They're not even meeting, they can't meet. And so, so, so I just think it's, it's a very peculiar time where shepherding just has to look different and uh, you just kind of have to do what you can with the situation. Uh, it's not ideal, but in some ways, I think it's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who are watching, uh, I would also really encourage to unpack that conversation. You can go check out uh, a video I'm just updating right now in the description. So it's in there right now. Uh, is Online Church Biblical? We interviewed uh, a, 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 an Anglican, a uh, method, a, a classical Pentecostal, a method-ish is what we like to call them, uh, uh, <laughs> and a Baptist person. We And then, and then me and Michael were there and we, we talked about right as the pandemic started, is online church biblical and all of these guys from different denominations actually came to a very similar conclusion yeah you really can search for that episode some of the un- nuances i i dropped it in the, the description we'll put a card up there or something yeah no so i'm i'm kind of curious i mean what do you th- uh well i guess i could just say what do you think of what macarthur's doing or some pastors who it's like in their state where everything's shut down if florida shut down would you would you have, would you still meet or would you not meet? Yeah, well, it did shut down for a little bit and the church did stop meeting for a little bit. Um, but, uh, I, I think, you know, everyone had a sense in Florida because of its political climate that, that the shutdown was not going to last long. And I mean, it's, uh-huh. it's wide open now. I don't know what I would do. I, I think it would depend upon how long, I, I think it would depend upon factors like how long do I perceive this shutdown is going to happen. Is it being done justly and equitably uh, among other public gatherings? Is the church being singled out? Um, and I think in MacArthur's case, part of what what he was arguing was, you know, hey, look, the other things are not shut down, and, right. and so there's and uh, or or you know, Mark Dever's case, uh, the Capitol Hill Baptist took, um, you know, against DC saying that that they're you know they were trying to have outdoor services and they were like look the you know the mayor of dc was going to these large outdoor events so so i i think it would it would depend um but certainly there's a place i think there is a place for civil disobedience probably me personally i'd be a little slower to get there mm-hmm. yeah okay Excellent. So uh, maybe we can start unpacking uh, qualifications of an elder that we talked about in First Timothy um, chapter three, uh, yeah. like you said in Titus, and, and maybe kind of kind of unpack some of those for us. Yeah. So um, just turning over there to First Timothy and Titus, um, uh, I, I think the thing that's most remarkable is is how much the character the uh, the qualifications are focused on character, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think oftentimes when we think about leadership, it's all about gifting mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you, you know, is, is someone winsome? Are they, you know, charismatic, you know, uh, influential. And, and yet when you look at, at, uh, first Timothy three, when you look at Titus, when you look at first Peter five, uh, th- those kinds of passages, I mean, it's, it's all these things like, 
um, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, above reproach, right? This kind of blanket uh, statement, which is really challenging. Um, so, so I think a godly character and, and right, like, is, isn't this, this kind of <laughs> crisis in the evangelical church is, is you have these two kind of moral failures that seem to keep happening with pastors. You know, one is, is more moral, moral failure in sexual immorality. Uh, but the other is, is like, you know, high handedness and authoritarianism and, uh, these character flaws, uh, where, where they are, they're not humble and they're not godly uh and, and it brings the ministry down uh so so yeah it, it's really interesting to me uh that the characters there i think another uh, key qualification is aspiration if anyone desires this is first Timothy. Three, if anyone desires to be an overseer he desires a noble task so i think there should be something in you that's like hungering uh to be an elder it, it shouldn't be like you're doing it because you feel guilty and they need one more slot you know on the roster or, or something like that. Um, husband of one wife. Uh, I do believe in male eldership. Um, I think that's, that's clearly taught, uh, in the new Testament. Uh, and it's interesting by the way, that, that it's the, it, there's a kind of family qualification that a man has to lead his family well. And I think it's because really the elders are kind of like this body of spiritual fathers over the family of the local church. Uh, and so, and if you think about it, maybe that's one other way to think about eldering instead of the shepherding model is kind of parenting, uh, eldering is parenting. You know, you're trying to be a good role model, you're teaching, you're overseeing, you're, you're kind of coaching and encouraging. And, and, and just as, just as in parenting, the goal is to like raise up fully mature kids. Uh, so in, in eldering, the goal is, um, is to raise up, you know, I think you really see that in, uh, Ephesians chapter four. You know, so the whole body grows up into maturity uh, into him who is the head that is Christ. You know, that, that imagery of the a maturing body. Uh, so the elders are kind of spiritual fathers. Teaching. Yeah. All right. You just mentioned Ephesians 4, so I got to jump on that. We just did an episode on the new apostolic reformation recently. Oh, yeah. You guys should check that out. Cool. But uh, and so they they there's very big emphasis on the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Some people yeah. make that for pastor, teacher. But anyway, they call it the fivefold. And uh, and so that's just like a huge part of it. And so they tried to have each of those functions within their leadership within each church. So um, I, I won't have you necessarily comment on the NAR expression of it, but what does apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher look like in your churches? Like how, how do these play out? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I uh, So, so if, as I understand apostles and the gift of apostleship, it, it is, it is uh, those who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Uh, and, and who had been, who were given a special responsibility of testifying as eyewitnesses. Um, I also think they were used to lay the foundation of the New Testament uh, that we have. So, so I, I do think we have apostolic authority in the church. I think it's the New Testament scriptures mm-hmm. and that, um, that, that that's where the apostolic authority lies. I, you know, even Paul, when he lists all the apostles to whom Christ appeared in First Corinthians 15, he says, and last of all to me as one untimely born, you know, he's, he's the last, uh, it, it, part of the way I would take that. So, mm-hmm. um, prophets, of course, that's, that's a big debate, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, what is prophecy? Is there prophecy today? 
so so I, I would be very, very, very uncomfortable with someone who claims to be a, an apostle today. Mm-hmm. Uh, if in terms of prophecy, I think that's that's a more live issue um, and in is 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 challenging either way. But it to me is not so much of red flag as as those claiming to be apostles. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, and then the evangelist one, like, what is, what does that look like? I mean, uh, are, do you see these as in some way playing into church government or more just like functions that, I mean, setting the apostle debate aside, just functions yeah. that should play a role yeah, somewhere are these, in the church. Are these gifts that are internally functioning within the church or these governing bodies, like you need yeah. the evangelist to speak into whether we're going to do the trunk or treat this year or, you know, <laughs> like, you know we got to redeem, redeem oh, the cult. I'm the so glad we have Ephesians 4.11 so we can make the trunk or treat decision. That's right. <laughs> so so how, how, how do you, do you understand evangelists, pastors, teachers? You guys teachers? are fearless in the topics you address. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is like the third rail. Did they just go there? Did they just go to trunk or treat? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. I'm hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would see them. I would see them as gifts and uh, functions, n- not so much as governing offices. Right. Okay. Got it. So, so you mentioned uh, these qualifications. You get sober-mindedness, self-control, hospitable, above reproach, husband of one wife, making sure they have aspirations, those kinds of things. Now, there, there, there have been recent. I mean. at the making of this video there have been recent uh uh, failures in these areas but if you're watching six months from now there's been recent failures in those areas as well so uh some big pastor somewhere has uh has done something that they shouldn't have that being said when we're looking at these kinds of qualifications uh at at what point do we start you know i get tossing the red flag on the play. I mean, husband of one wife is pretty simple, right? Like, um, you don't want to break that one. It's really easy to figure that out, but like sober minded, self-controlled, like at, right. at what point in time does the church or the other elders stand up and go, Hey man, you're, you're eating too much pizza. Like <laughs> self-controlled, you know, like, like, like what, what where's that line of like really getting you're gonna have to step down calling, from eldership. Like, yeah. Like, do you, yeah, that's the question. Too much pizza? Like, where's the line? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And, and you know, there's so many decisions, I think, in, in church leadership. And you guys probably know from leadership in your own churches. There's so many decisions that just require wisdom. Yeah. And and wisdom, you know, is is this combination of, of you know, biblically, the fear of the Lord and biblically informed thinking, but also j- just kind of... Um, reading complex situations and thinking about all the different ways that scripture applies and then sometimes making judgment calls based on that. Um, and so I, I think sometimes there's people who, um, you know, you say, I'm not sure if this guy is ready to be an elder and and it's not like you can, you know, give a, a numeric value to that or something, mm-hmm. uh, but 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 you have to use wisdom and, and I think Six that's pizzas. where you're yeah. out. <laughs> How many pieces? four pieces? You're okay. Yeah. It's so, like a test. You put a pizza in front of you. <laughs> yeah. it qualified. It's got to be like a pizza yeah, by Some guys like, no. <laughs> no don't, okay, reach so, for it. don't reach for it. No. <laughs> so, uh, 
with talking about it with talking with talking about self-control talking about wisdom and those kinds of uh, aspects who who does that right like at what point in time does the church get concerned you know like if i'm concerned about michael and i'm, I'm attending michael's church as a congregant as an elder you know you're supposed to be a charge with two witnesses like how, how does that process work because what, what seems to be happening is that one of these things were either never present, they were never qualified for this role, or um, these things slowly creep in. And it's hard. It's really, really hard to determine, man, like there was he made a mistake or hey, he made a couple of mistakes or there's a pattern of mistakes here uh, versus like, like that's just a, such a small line. And, and it seems as if the church is just so quick to jump on people like, Hey, there was this guy who had this moral failure recently. Um, he's repentant of it. Um, he's getting counseling with his wife. His church was open and honest about it. We don't know how long it went on, but hey, it seems like everyone's approaching this the right way. And it seems like the church just wants to bash. Yeah, there's another pastor. He screwed up. He failed. Uh, like, like how how can we be more hospitable? How can we catch these things early? How can we, uh, uh, you know, talk about failures and shortcomings in this way uh, so that we're not eating our own? Yeah. I mean, great question. And, and I think there, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's interesting how we, we often are so, you know, zealous for the gospel, but there isn't a, that kind of note of grace in our lives. Um, you know, we, we would go to the mat for the doctrines of grace, but you know, like mm-hmm. where, where is the grace. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I do think, um, that, that can often be the case. And in churches, it, it's hard. You know, the churches either kind of, they seem to either fall off one side of the cliff or the other. They either turn a blind eye to it and, you know, and ignore the pastor's sins and don't do anything about it. Or, or you know, it's like you messed up, you know, you, you're going to, you know, we're going to put down old yeller here and that's it. Right. Like, and there's no grace and there's no hope and there's no... And there's got there's got to be some path in the middle, right? And it has to involve um, it has to involve repentance. It has to involve uh, real close community and and people speaking into that person's life. And so I, I do think people can can be restored. Pastors can be restored, but it's it's often a longer, more intense road than um, and it, which is probably why it's easier just to ignore it or or be like, well, we're done with that guy and whatever. God will take care of him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, on those list of qualifications, one of them is able to teach. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think of the model where a lead pastor teaches, you know, almost every single week with an occasional, usually guest speaker, usually from the outside, or it might be from the inside if it's a bigger church. But um, anyway, what do you what do you think of a model like this versus something more of like a team teaching model? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think team teaching is is great to aspire to and to work toward. Um, and I, I think it's really healthy for a church to see, even if you have one guy who's like the lead pastor who, who does a, a higher percentage of preaching. I, I think it's so healthy for churches to see a team teaching model and to be kind of coaching and training guys up, um, to, to get to that, uh, to get to that point. Um, and, and I think able to teach can take a lot of forms. Like, like I really think what able to teach means is to be able to, um, hold to the, you know, the sound teaching and refute those who oppose it. 
And so I don't, I don't think it means you have to be able to step onto the stage at, uh, um, you know, gospel coalition, you know, 2021 and speak to 5,000 people and hold them in rapt attention for 45 minutes. Um, I, I think that's like one kind of type of preaching gifts, but I think you can, if you can sit across the table uh, from a guy with a cup of coffee and try to just walk him through scriptures and explain the scriptures and, you know, you're able to teach um, whether or not you can do that in a, a monologue with for 45 minutes is kind of a different question. Well, that's yeah. super encouraging. Uh, I'm still qualified. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> I was really comparing on that, that Gospel Coalition thing. So uh, uh, Matthew Holmes asked a question about divorced men. Uh, I think he's pulling it from First uh, Timothy chapter three, uh, verse two, talking about the yep. husband of one wife. Is, is it possible to be an elder or pastor if he ha- if he's been or he hasn't been remarried? Uh, it's kind of a controversial subject. What do you think? Yeah, very, it's it's very complex, and part of it is the uh, the ambiguity of the Greek grammar. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know a one woman man, and of course the word the Greek word for woman is also the same Greek word for wife, and the Greek word for man is also the same Greek word for husband. Uh, so, so it's, um, uh, you know, one way to take that is that it's a faithful husband. Um, so, so it's sort of take it more metaphorically. It's, it's a husband who's faithful to his wife, who's a good husband. Um, one of the challenges I see is if you take it as you can only have one wife and therefore it excludes divorce and remarriage. Well, does it also exclude then someone who's widowed and gets remarried? Uh, cause you know, they've technically had two wives and, and I've, I've read some who, who argued that. Uh, so, but, but that becomes kind of problematic. Um, or, or what if he's divorced, but never remarried? I mean, he's still the husband of one wife. Um, so, and so you kind of, you kind of descend into a complex casuistry there. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, so I, I think it's a tough, it's a tough one to interpret. Um, I, I tend to land on the side of, uh, a, a faithful husband because of that. It, it just seems it doesn't play out well if someone is, you know, widowed and as a widower and remarries, I just would have no problem having them as an elder. But if it's going to be technically one wife, well, then what do I do? Okay, cool. Hey, we have a question from a guy named Dawson. He says, uh, why does the Christian consumer complex create celebrity pastors? So (laughs) could you speak into the celebrity pastor thing? Yeah, it's, it's really, yeah, it's, it's a mess. It's, it's unhealthy. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, it does, it's not good for the pastor. It's not good for the church. And, and I think sometimes it just happens, um, without people trying to make it happen. I, I think, you know, you get a really gifted pastor and you, or, or God's just blessing his ministry. And many people are coming to faith and the Lord is moving. And just because of our context, uh, as you know, consumers, we sort of interpret that and experience that in a certain way. Uh, and it, it just kind of falls into the, the, uh, the celebrity category, but yeah, I think it's important to, to work, work against that as much as we can. Um, so I don't know why it happens except that it's, it's kind of human nature and it's kind of American culture and it needs to be resisted. Uh, and how, how do we resist it? What can churches do to resist it? And can you think of any examples where it's been resisted well by pastors who do have that sort of magnetic personality, charisma, gifting, et cetera, uh, but they've resisted it well? I think, um, you know, one of my heroes in that regard is uh, Mark Dever. You know, I, I 
I've known him through nine marks ministry and he's a guy who's like ridiculously gifted. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I just, his, his, his ability, his, in, his intellect, his mastery of information, his winsomeness, his force of personality. He's just a force of nature, but he, you know, on his elder board is constantly deferring to other elders and is willing to lose votes. Uh, he, he's constantly, you know, the, the percentage of Sundays that he preaches in his church is surprisingly low compared to what a typical pastor does. He's always raising people up. Uh, he, he's always, you know, putting the theology forward and, and not himself forward. And so somehow I, I just watch him and, and I, I see someone who who could easily sort of build something around himself. And he's just constantly pushing it away, pushing it away. So. Uh, I think it takes a lot of intentionality to to make sure that doesn't happen. No, he's very intentional about it. I invited him on the show, and he told me no. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> he did tell me no, though. Um, you sound still bitter. I love Mark Dever. I have like a <laughs> theology man crush on his celebrityness. Okay, here's I didn't the, know that was a thing. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think he is awesome. Though. Um, we, we, we talked about all of the qualifications given here in in First Timothy and Titus. Like they're mostly character. Like why on earth are we not a, like, why are we applying this to pastors? Right? Like I look at this list, uh, uh, sober minded. That should be all Christians self-controlled. That should be all Christians hospitable. Like I would hold any Christian accountable to these things like husband of one wife. Okay. So the men Christians. Okay. But still like all of these things seem like average Christian standards. Why are these qualifications for elders and not just Christians everywhere? And, and I think the answer is they are. Um, and, and because part of a pastor's job is to be a role model, uh, you, you know, to be an example for the flock, mm. um, you know, like Paul imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so I, I think you're exactly right. Like these are things that every Christian should aspire to and, and elders should just be kind of living examples. So when you see an elder, you should, you should look at him and be like, man, I want to be like that guy. You know, and I want to I want to leave my wife the way he does. or I want to be patient the way he is or and and so we should aspire to those things. So, yeah, I, I think that's right, because elders are leading by example. Yeah, uh, I'm curious, what do you see is the relationship between like elder and staff? Because you have maybe some paid elders, some lay elders, but then maybe some staff members like. I mean, maybe there's youth pastor. We actually had a question earlier. Is that biblical youth pastor? Uh, maybe you have like a worship director who's, you know, leading some worship. But I mean, how do you, how does all of that work? Yeah, it, it's um, it, it does get tricky because because of the dual relationship that a staff person has to the church. On the one hand, they're a spiritual leader. But on the, on the other hand, they're also in the employee of the church. And so it, it creates um, a, a kind of messy relationship. Uh, so so on, on the pastor level, you know, I, I believe that all if you're going to give someone the title of pastor on your staff, that they are functioning as an elder, mm-hmm. um, that, that, you know, a pastor is an elder, is an overseer. I think those three terms uh, are used interchangeably in the New Testament. So, uh, yeah, so if I'm going to call someone a pastor, I really think they should be an elder. But then it gets complex because some things elders talk about are like the salary of the employees. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you know, there, so, so it's you're, because of that, because of the double uh, relationship that's there, I do think that 
that there has to be practical ways to consider that. So like when I was in Abu Dhabi, uh, one of the, the things we wrote into our constitution, uh, our bylaws change was that there had to be more lay elders than, than staff elders. Um, so that, you know, like, like we couldn't abuse power and take over, uh, uh, and lay hold of the finances because it would directly benefit us. Um, we, we also made a, we also made a thing in the bylaws that the associate pastors couldn't have votes on anything related to staffing in the church or the finances of staffing unless the other elders deemed it okay. And so, so we just kind of, because we recognize that dual relationship. Um, and then, you know, ministry directors typically are people who have responsibility for programs. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure where they fit. They're, they're kind of deacons, kind of like deacons. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, I don't know. They're sort of, yeah, I would say they're closer to deacons in my mind. But You want to uh, talk about deacons for a minute? Yeah, that, Brandon has a question. He goes, what's the difference between elders and deacons? And Dawson, on the heels of that, is there a difference between bishops and shepherds? Um, or bishops and elders, I guess bishop, bishops and shepherds, yeah, uh, because those are the pastor So, ones. yeah, uh, bishop, uh, elder, deacon, unpack all that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the, the, the second question, I, I see the, the elder, the pastor, or shepherd, that's what pastor means. Pastors is the Latin word for shepherd. So elders, overseers, and pastors as all the same job. Uh, so, so if you want to, you, you could theologically and accurately call your elders bishop, you know, if you really, if you really wanted to give them an ego. Um, uh, and, and I think you see that in Acts chapter 20, uh, where Paul says, you know, he, he's speaking to the elders and he says, you know, shepherd the flock of God, you know, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, you know, you know, sort of these, like just w- willing to use these terms interchangeably mm-hmm. for five, same thing. Um, those terms are all interchangeable. Uh, as far as deacons, uh, I understand deacons to be uh, servants in the church who who took on uh, administrative and uh, service functions so that the elders can do the shepherding work. So, you know, the, if the elders are primarily the teachers, I mean, it's interesting in the qualification list for elders and deacons. Deacons have a lot of the same character qualifications as elders. Uh, the, the one thing that elders have that deacons don't have is that they have to be able to teach. Whereas deacons don't have to be able to teach, yeah. so I think there's I think there's a lot of lot of roles in the church that are diaconal roles that make use of all kinds of gifts in the body that, that you don't have to be an elder to use your gifts and be a great servant to the body. I was uh, I was just at a church in Missouri last week, and it seems like their their um, team of leaders that lead their church are composed of elders and deacons. And they kind of co-lead the church together. Um, and it seems as if their elders are also people who can fill the pulpit where they're deacons. They still get the same kind of vote in the direction of the church, but aren't able to teach. Would you be comfortable with that kind of um, that kind of distinction? Yeah, I, I think I would struggle if if the deacons are being called upon to oversee the whole church. Um, I, I'm, I'd be fine with, you know, conversations between those different bodies. And I do think that, you know, elders need to listen to the flock. They need to listen de- to deacons. Um, they don't just make decisions from a star chamber, but, uh, I, I would, I'd be concerned about just kind of confusing elder and deacon role and seeing the deacons being a part of all deciding together on the oversight of the whole body. I think that's a special duty given to elders. You know. Okay, a uh, question from Jared R. He asks, <laughs> are, female de- are female deacons aight? That's how he worded it. Oh, well, 
I think we get the interpretation there. What's that? <laughs> I meaning all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it means. No, for sure. <laughs> so he's asking about female deaconesses. De- deaconesses. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, no, no slang without interpretation, right? Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a debatable matter uh, of, of interpret. So, so even among those who are, we'll call themselves complementarians, you know, one of mm-hmm. the debates is, can there be female deacons? And and a lot of it hinges on uh, the, the fact that women are mentioned uh, in First Timothy three eight. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy to dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. It sounds a lot like elders. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, uh, but sober-minded. But the problem there, again, is is the word wife or is it the word woman? Uh, women, likewise. And, and uh, w- what's interesting is that word likewise, when it appears, see, I would take it to be describing a new category of person. Because that's how it also appears in verse eight. So, um, so I would, I would see this as deacons, and then women who are also serving as deacons. Um, but it could be wives, and so it's 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 kind of a debatable matter there. And some would argue, um, well, is uh, why is it then that deacons' wives have qualifications, but elders' wives don't? So it seems a little bit strange. There's a great um, debate article, uh, two two articles. I think one's written by Tom Schreiner in Nine Marks. And the other one's written by um, uh, Alexander Strock. And Strock argues for male-only deacons, and then um, Schreiner argues for female deacons. It's a great – so just go look. I think it's Nine Marks that posted that. I'm looking it up right now. I'll have it in the in the description yeah. of the video afterward. And then they respond to each other. So it's like one of those two views thing. Very helpful. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. Uh, who, another question, this, uh, Jared's got another question. Who plants churches in the Bible, elders or apostles? Well, we, we've uh, already heard your question. understanding of the apostles thing, but, um, basically who, who is supposed to ch- plant churches, just new elders being raised up or what? Yeah. I mean, you, you see the apostles planting churches, but you know, who planted the church in Antioch? Just, like, we have no idea. People who <laughs> went around talking about Jesus. The brothers. <laughs> who like fled you know and so yeah, like showed up in antioch but we like actually don't know who planted the church in antioch <laughs> yeah now we, we support a mission in cuba and it's it's very house church oriented in part because the cuban government requires right. them to meet in homes and uh they, they do have some church buildings it's kind of weird but anyway uh, just a lot of house churches and and for them if you're a disciple, you're a church planter. And so like, they're just like going around and like everybody's just making disciples and starting new things in their home. It's, and it's growing like wildfire. It's, it's pretty wild. It's crazy. Um, apparently if you tell everyone they're a church planter, you plant lots of churches. That's what Michael said. (laughs) Yeah. Revolutionary. Yeah. It it creates interesting conversations for complementarians such as myself. Oh, no doubt. Anyway. Um, Cool. Well, thank you. So That's much. a whole nother discussion. I, I think we're, we're coming to that, that kind of that, that that last point in our show where we're kind of we want to wrap everything up, give our last closing thoughts. So, so yeah. Jeremy, I'll ask you here in a moment, you know, that golden nugget, people are walking away thinking about elders. What is the one thing that you really want people to consider uh, and to think about as they're walking away, uh, talking about elders, thinking about elders? Uh, Michael, we'll start with you. Uh, give Jeremy a second to, to get his thoughts out there. Uh, sure. But, yeah. 
Yeah, I I think just the fact that I mean Paul lists one after another after another after another after another character traits for eldership. And so I think that when you're looking for a church, go to a church where you trust the elders character. Don't just go to the church that's got the most charismatic speaker necessarily. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, if those are the characteristics that are uh, uh, for elders, then those are the kinds of churches that we should be seeking churches that have a plurality of elders and churches where those elders are shepherding and, uh, and have righteous character because our character formation. And, and I know like we tend to think like, if I just pray and I read my Bible, then, you know, I'm going to be good. But like in reality, my character formation is going to be very much dependent upon the kind of church I decide to go to. Mm -hmm. And so go to a church that has biblical eldership, go to a church with real shepherds, not just programs. So I think that's what I would say. That's great. Jeremy, your thoughts, sir. Uh, I guess I would say, um, especially to, uh, to men out there, aspire to be an elder, you know, um, and really like go from being a passive dude, uh, you know, whose wife is kind of the de facto spiritual force in the family and like, man, grow and aspire. And, um, you know, there's a place for you. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a, a, a trained pastor, quote unquote. And so I just encourage, encourage men to aspire to eldership to be the kind, whether or not you end up being an elder, to be the kind of person who could be. And, and I think that would be uh, great. And of course, w- women too, uh, just aspiring to having that character and godliness. Uh, but I think sometimes it's men, men who are, are kind of, you know, we're kind of lazy, right? And, and we sort of are passive and, you know, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't do our job. So yeah, I would just say aspire bros and uh, grow, grow toward it. Yeah, that's that's been my, my thought throughout this is where even we, since we've been talking about multi-site, um, uh, going to the village for a while, Matt has spun off all of the churches, all the campuses as autonomous churches pastored by their own local pastor, preached by their own local their own local pastor preaches. He doesn't stream into those spaces any longer. Um, and, and that's something that I would really advise for people who are looking uh, to to be a part of a church, um, looking at the character of people who are, who are really willing to like give away authority and to give away control. Um, I think that is a, a beautiful sign of, of maturity in Christ. And so as you guys are watching this video, what I'd really encourage you to do, uh, go down into the description of the video. You can see PayPal links if you want to donate. Uh, Patreon, if you want to be a monthly don't, uh, giver to the ministry, uh, we have uh, videos on Patreon that are exclusive as thank yous to those who give monthly to the ministry. Thank you, crew, for telling me which camera was on. Uh, uh, and then uh, we have social links. If you want to follow us on Facebook or Instagram, the book that was mentioned today uh, by Jeremy, uh, that's going to be in the description of the video, uh, is Online Church Biblical. It's a link to our YouTube video and uh, the two views of women deacons that is also in the description of the video. A big thank you, Jeremy, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. Enjoy your books and encourage anybody out there who's watched the video, you've liked it. uh, Man, check out the book. It will impact you and your church community. Uh, It was a blessing. So we'll see you guys next time, uh, Monday night, 830 p.m. Central Time. Central Standard Time, or Tuesdays from 4 to 5. Tomorrow, we've got two shows, one with Max Licato talking about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, and then soon following Max, we've got another episode. Joel Richardson. Joel Richardson discussing uh, prophecies. Messianic prophecies. Messianic prophecies. So, in times. Exciting. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see you guys next time. Be blessed.
Want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.